Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. It's good to see so many bright, smiling faces on this brisk morning. We are in week two of Faith on Trial, our Sunday school series, and Pastor Ernie is not here, and so we are going to make do without him. But first, we are going to begin with a testimony, and our theme for this morning is getting a foothold, getting a foothold. And last week, we talked about a man whose steps were slipping because of what he was experiencing, the circumstance in his life. This morning, we're going to hear a personal testimony from Kurt and Nancy Schinnebarger. They're sharing their life experience with trial and how they got a foothold. So, Kurt and Nancy, if you would please come, and we really appreciate you being willing to share. I know most of you guys know me uh, in my family, but I know some of you don't. Uh, It's uh, been about four years since uh, we went through the experiences we're about to tell you about. So, um, just to introduce the rest of my family, who normally is not here, uh, I've got my firstborn is walking across the way. <laughs> uh, I've got twin boys that uh, uh, one is located in Boston now, the other's in Dayton. They've graduated from college and they're, they're here. We actually went to a wedding in St. Louis yesterday, so that brings them here. And then Elizabeth, my youngest, is in college presently. Um, so, uh, just to let you be aware of who's who, um, the, I don't have it, um, the other thing that, um, I would like to, to say is that, um, I, I, I applaud and congratulate and, and appreciate the prior speakers that we've had. For me, this is like, um, kind of pulling a, a scab off of an old wound, and it hurts. So, um, I've written this out because I don't know that I'm going to make it very well through this, so it's easier for me to kind of read in some ways. But anyway, um, so if I falter, I'm going to pass the baton. Um, so that's the reason why Nancy's up here. Um, so anyway, this is about my daughter, Rebecca. She was actually my second-born daughter. Um, and uh, when we first came to town, Becca was young, um, and she's shown uh, great spiritual insight even from a young age. Um, I can remember she was approximately four or five when we first came, uh, and Grandma went to uh, the grocery store with um, uh, Becca, and they got lost on the way home. Uh, Grandma didn't know the town. And so, Grandma's solution was, we're going to pull off, find a phone, and call home to see how we can uh, find our way home. Elizabeth, or excuse me, Elizabeth, um, Becca, even at a very young age, um, said, Grandma, let's just pray. God will show us the way home. And she manifested this trust in God throughout her life, and... It was just neat to see, and she, she taught me an awful lot throughout her life, just in things like that. I would rely on myself and um, not on God many times. Um, so anyway, fast forward 25 years. Um, Rebecca is a young lady. She's a nurse at St. Mary's. She's uh, zealously committed to her pursuing Christ uh, she fervently loves and serves others. Um, she was known by her smile, uh, her inquisitive mind, and her passion for holiness. She's healthy. Uh, she's very healthy. We ran a half marathon before she got sick. Uh, it were two weeks before she got sick. Um, and um, around Thanksgiving, she got um, some kind of a GI bug. Who knows what it was? Um, 
She just basically had a bad stomach ache, or so I thought. Um, unfortunately, it did not go away. Um, she went to the emergency room uh, in the beginning of December. Um, she, got, she was treated. Uh, unfortunately, she didn't improve. Uh, she went to a GI specialist. Uh, once again, she was treated but didn't improve. Um, this led to a hospital admission. And once again, in her weakened, ill condition, she had something to teach me. Um, she had three goals when she was admitted to the hospital. First of all, she wanted to give God the glory. How you give God the glory by going to the hospital is beyond me, but that's what she wanted to do. Secondly, she wanted to be a good witness for Christ. She didn't want to act in a way that would dishonor his name. And lastly, she wanted to get better. Um, as a physician, most of you know I'm a doctor, my primary goal is to fix you. Um, I don't even think about those other goals. Um, you know, I just want to make you better. And once again, she had something to teach me. I, I, I don't focus many times on the first things. And even when she was sick, she would focus on those primary goals of life. So we're in the hospital. She doesn't get any better either. Um, despite multiple studies, uh, her malady didn't improve. Um, on December 15th, she suddenly took a, word, a turn for the worst. She became septic, which for you guys doesn't make uh, any sense probably, but her, her blood pressure went down. She became delirious. Um, she, uh, she basically looked like a disaster. And if nothing was done, she would have made it through the night. This led to her first surgery. It was December 15th. Uh, she had a colon resection. Um, There's no cancer. It was just inflamed um, colon that uh, uh, was perforated and uh, had very poor vascularity. But why a 25-year-old female has got poor vascularity in her intestines is who knows why. Um, there's no good reason for that. So... She did well with the surgery. Two days later, she goes back and she, if you will, gets reconnected. Um, things seem to be doing well. Um, on Saturday, uh, December 20th, she took a sudden turn for the worst. We were kind of taking shifts and being there. And only Elizabeth was there at the time. But she had a, quote, quote, neurologic event, which I don't even know what that means. Um, but she, she was coded. Um, she never became, if you will, normal after that. She, uh, from a medical standpoint, she was awake, um, she wouldn't follow commands. She didn't know where she was. She, um, uh, she was just completely out of it, if you will. Uh, despite multiple studies, once again, uh, we didn't find a good reason for this. Um, and um, uh, things just kind of continued to spiral down, if you will. The next day, her uh, vital signs once again became unstable. Uh, she was taken back to surgery. Uh, and this time it was for an exploratory surgery. Is there had to be a good reason for her kind of spiraling down. Um, and she had more intestines removed. It just didn't look healthy. Uh, who knows why? Um, a transfer to a tertiary care center was recommended. Uh, they thought that, you know, things were beyond their, their ability to treat her. Uh, they were doing all the right things from a doctor's standpoint. I know they were doing all the right things. Um, 
you probably don't remember this. This is, you know, so long ago. But the weather at that point in time was bad. Uh, and to make a long story short, they couldn't fly a helicopter in uh, or take her out. Uh, we were stuck there, if you will, uh, even though they recommended us being taken elsewhere. Uh, she was on multiple drips to um, keep her blood pressure up. They will give you medication to help keep your blood pressure up. Uh, she's on antibiotics. She's on several different things. She was on uh, a ventilator. Uh, her settings were high. Her lactic acid kept going up. Um, she just wasn't doing well. Uh, the weather was still bad, but they were finally able to fly a fixed-wing airplane in from Nashville, and they took her down to Vanderbilt to hope, hopefully fix my daughter, um, who looked horrible. And just a few weeks ago, she was healthy as a horse. Um, no good explanation. Um, in short, we went to Vanderbilt. She continued to spiral down. Uh, she arrived on December 22nd, which is actually Rachel's birthday. Um, we underwent a surgery that evening. Uh, the next day, she was maybe a little better, but not great. Um, uh, she still need, was on multiple medications to keep her blood pressure up uh, and to do di several different things. She was actually at one time on 16 different drips, which doesn't make any sense to you. You'll have all these, you know, IVs, and typically you've just got one IV that's running in some IV fluid. Well, she was on 16 different ones running in different medications just to keep her alive, uh, which... For a doctor, dad is a lot um, and scares even me. Um, when you're that sick, you need a real doctor. You don't need me. <laughs> um, uh, but on Christmas Eve, uh, she continued to spiral downhill. Uh, she was taken back to surgery that afternoon. Uh, she survived, but she continued to spiral down. Um, in the early morning of Christmas... This is all night, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. She was axed out on all of her trips. They couldn't give her any more of some of these medications without causing harm. And so um, her labs came back at about 3 in the morning, even worse. Uh, I mean, her kidney function was going terrible. They wanted to put her on dialysis. They offered to give us three more units of blood. There were only five in the hospital at the time. Um, Nancy and I prayed about this and, and basically declined. Uh, we realized that God was calling her home despite everything we were doing. So we turned off all of our drips. We sang Christmas carols and let her go home to her prince, her king, and her savior. That's her story. Now, um, I'm supposed to tell you how we got through all this. <laughs> um, and so... I tried to focus on three different things, and many of these we've talked about in prior Sunday school lessons, but this is kind of what got me through this. Number one, God's good. God's good. He's not out to kid us. He loves us. Um, there are several places in the Bible, and we discussed in past Sunday school lessons, um, that tell us this. Um, Psalm 86.5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love for all who call upon you. God is good. Number two, God's got everything under control. I mean, when life is hitting the skids and I don't understand things, he's got everything under control. Once again, this is seen in multiple places in the Bible. Um, from Genesis to Revelation, he's got everything under his control. And number three, uh, Romans 8.28 says that 
All things work out together for good to those who love him. For whatever reason. Um, which obviously, I don't know. This was working out for good. We didn't understand this. We just had to believe. Um, so those are the three things, if you will, that got me through. Um, I'd like to get off on a couple of different rabbit trails now. Uh, first of all, from the outside looking in, the people, you on the outside for our trial, what can you do in the midst of things like this? First of all, pray. Um, pray for, if, in this case, the patient, Becca. Um, pray for us. I mean, for physical strength, spiritual strength, fortitude, wisdom. I mean, we were asked to make decisions that even from a physician's standpoint were hard to make. Um, So just pray, pray, and pray some more. Number two, uh, and I'm going to go to Job. Um... This is in Job 2. Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they came to him each from his own place. They made an appointment together to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voice and wept, and they tore their clothes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, and they saw that his suffering was very great. One thing that Job's friends did that was very good, and his friends took a lot of heat, uh, and but one thing they did that was very good, they showed up and they were with him for seven days and they didn't say anything. It sounds dumb, but there's something about just being there. Um, the um, to hold our hands. Uh, I know that there are people here that did that, it, but. Just to just to be there, and, and you don't have to say anything, but it's nice to know that there's somebody there that cares. I think that the ladies do this far better than the guys do. Um, um, I, I, the, the guys, I don't think, overall do this very well, but the ladies do it extremely well. Um, Sometimes it's just the simple things that make a big deal. Um, when Becca was being flown to Vanderbilt, we were uh, racing in cars to join her. Uh, we were sad and discouraged when we got there, but God had gone before us. A friend from medical school days totally altered her plans to meet us there. How she even knew we were going there is beyond me. I mean, we found out after the fact, but, but she met us there. And over the next several days, she, she was there several times. Um, I can remember right before Becca's last surgery that uh, this was on Christmas Eve. We were in a waiting room about half this size. It was just my family plus a couple of other people. Um, this surgery wasn't going to fix us fixer. It was just going to make things a little better. Um, after they had taken her away, a resident had come back and said that she had had a stroke. She basically lost half her brain. From a dad's standpoint, I was about as down as down could be. And this lady shows up with bags of groceries and said, I thought you might be hungry. It was like manna from heaven. Um, 
not so much her, her food, but just her being there. Um, there was another person who we know from down that was working in Texas. He was driving all day and night to be with his family on Christmas morning. I was talking on the telephone, and the elevator opens, and out comes this man. And I'm kind of like, it was almost surreal. I mean, who are you, and what are you doing here? Um, And he said, I heard you were in the hospital. He just came to hold my hand. So being there, being there, that's good. Um, and I know that many of you did that, but I'm just saying that's, that's valuable. Um, next thing. Um, in many of the Psalms, repeat that the good things that, that God has done uh, for the children of Israel. Um, in many of the feasts, they commemorate the same things. Um, and so this one is remember. Um, when I'm up to my hip in alligators, it's hard for me to remember things. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, dealing with all of these problems. It's hard for me to remember. And so I need to remember, but I think where you fit in is you need to tell me to remember the good things that God has done. Um, And that's hard to do. Um, When you're in the midst of the battle, many times that's hard to do. Um, When I'm living off of stale coffee in the night nurse's lounge for days on end, you need to tell me that God's good. When we have countless sleepless nights with monitors going off and alarms going off. You need to tell me that God's got everything under control because it doesn't look like it. And when we're all alone, we find out that Becca had a stroke and she lost half her brain. You need to tell me somehow this is going to work out for good because at the time, I don't see it. So you need to tell me to remember. I need to remember, but it's good for you to tell me to remember. The the last thing is that, um, and we touched base about this somewhat last week too, it says in Isaiah 55 that my ways are not your ways. Um, God's ways aren't our ways. His ways are above ours. I claimed, I claimed, at that point in time, Psalm 103, verse 3, God can heal your diseases. I prayed, and I fasted, and I prayed, and I fasted. And she didn't get better. I don't know why. I pleaded with him, take me, take, don't take her. Nancy's mom did the same thing. I can remember her sitting by the bedside. I'm an old woman, take me. She's got so much potential. Make her better. But for some reason, that wasn't God's way. And I just need to accept it. It's, it's hard. Um, many of you know that my son Nathan's got something called ulcerative colitis and once again I've prayed I've fasted I've been praying for years for him to get better I mean I pray for just for healing, for relief of pain, for relief of bleeding. Um, we've been to physicians here in Boston. We've been to Columbus. We've talked to people in Canada. We've tried natural means. 
medicine, you name it. We've tried it. Diets. We've been on every diet known to man. <laughs> true, true. Um, and I don't know if you guys know what this is. It's a condition that causes pain and bleeding and those kind of things. And a male hemoglobin is typically 14 to 15. He's bled down a hemoglobin of 7 before, which is his, his tank's half full and he continues to function. Um, I have to realize that God's ways aren't my ways. I still pray for him. I still fast for him. But you know, God's done a great thing in his life. He has grown, grown so much. And it's neat to see. And I think this thorn in his flesh, if you will, has really caused him to grow. Um, and he's a remarkable young man. And I think that some of that has come about because of this trial that God's put him through. Um, I still pray for him, but at the end of my prayers, typically I'm going to say, but your will be done. Um, so, I could ramble on and on. I'm going to stop and see if any of the rest of my family has anything they want to say. Well, I can't follow him, but I do want to say thank you for you guys. You were such a, um, a blessing to us. You guys prayed, you brought food, you respected when Rebecca was just not sure if she wanted company, and um, you were so faithful, and you know, a funeral right at Christmas time is hard, and you guys dropped what you were doing, and people took care of mom, so that in Vanderbilt, and the schedule was crazy, you know, we didn't have that extra concern, and and um, we really appreciate that. You did that well. And we appreciate that very much. And God was there. I mean, the, you know, I guess I'm trying to learn to see God's provision in the middle of trials better. But um, one thing that was a huge blessing to us was Cedarville. My, where Nathan and Noah were at school at that time and graduated. Their calendar was one week earlier than everybody else's for that year. And that allowed them that week to interact with Rebecca. They had to have a family night and have, you know, movie and play chess and see her before she wasn't communicating. And I think, how gracious, because their schedule is now the same as USI's. You know, and I just think that's the Lord. You know, he just did a lot of things that, that were just an evidence that he had gone before us. So just trying to be aware that so many times I take things for granted and I think, oh, that worked out really well, or, you know, wasn't that a... And I don't remember that it's God's provision, that God is just being merciful in daily little things of going before me and making life sweet, and, and even in the middle of the valley. And the other thing is I really felt like it increased the sweetness of the gospel because we gave up our child not willingly, but because God called her, and we had no choice, you know, and we know she's better, you know, and we don't want her home. But the hurt is still obviously very much there. For all of us, I think we just, she was a great girl, and she loved well, so she's missed much, you know. Um, but it says, for God not, did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him us, and if he did that, how much will he not graciously give us all things? You know, so just, just be marveling that he would do that for a wretch like me, a rebel, one who didn't want his ways. You know, so I think that the sweetness of the gospel has become even sweeter. Um, so, and then just being intentional, you know, not thinking, I'm 25, I've got forever. She ran two marathons, too many marathons, had good times, you know, was looking healthy and fine. And her spiral was so quick, so don't wait till tomorrow to live intentionally and give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord, because today is the day of salvation. So thank you for loving us, and thank you for continuing to understand. You've been so gracious that, that you know, she got sick at Thanksgiving, and she died at Christmas, and this is just usually a really hard wave. <laughs> and you're all so gracious to understand that, so we appreciate that.
I'll do any of my As Dad said, um, just like ways, you know, when people are going through trials, just praying there and being there for them. Um, I just want to reiterate what they said about people were praying. Like, I remember the 20th is when she had that neurologic event. The 21st was Sunday. And then the 22nd, she was flown out to Vanderbilt. And the 21st, um, I was told during Sunday school, I think it was Mr. Beal was leading, and he canceled Sunday school and had us praying, or had the Sunday school praying for us during that time. And just, pe- I remember people being in the lobby, they wouldn't even come back to where Rebecca was because they didn't want to disrupt us. Um, but, you know, it, just those, just knowing that people were praying and knowing that people were there makes a huge, huge, huge difference. So I want to, and even physically, like you guys, I remember coming. I think it was maybe even Christmas Day. And then all of a sudden we have someone coming down the driveway with like dinner for us. I mean, we had meals for like the next month. So <laughs> I just want to thank you guys, FBC people and our dear friends who are in the audience who aren't even FBC members. Um, just thank you, thank you for all you did for our family during that time. And I just want to say one more blessing that um, God has allowed there was a foundation that Kurt and I and Rachel established in her honor, and people donated, and the, the principle stays the same, but the interest creates a scholarship. So we have her first scholarship winner with us today. So Denise got the first scholarship. So that's one blessing, but it's also wonderful that when people give money, I'm always able to write a thank you and say why we can have hope. And we have hope because God is truthful and he's faithful to his word, and he said he goes to prepare a place for us, and he will not deceive us. And so everything you I write, I try to put them, point them to Christ, because that's what she would have done. You know, and at her funeral, there were all these evangelistic books. So our prayer is that that seed that died will yield much fruit. Oh, um, we have a book of wisdom she wrote. I haven't been able to read it, to be honest, but it will be in the back if you want to see it, because she was full of wisdom, and this is just wisdom. She sent one friend over a span of probably 10 years of friendship, and this girl, for some reason, kept it, and she made a book and brought it at the funeral. So, And there's also little hearts that we wear because somebody in the... Um, one of her coworkers wanted to remember to serve selflessly, and, and um, so we have some hearts if people want any. Don't feel pressure, but if you want them, there's some hearts in the back, too. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this beautiful testimony through pain. And Lord, I'm thankful for the faith that you have given to this family, and specifically to Rebecca. And Lord, we look forward to meeting her. For me, I haven't met her, but I will. So I thank you, Lord, for your truth that we can cling to in difficult life circumstance. And Lord, may you bless this family and continue to comfort them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are thankful for that testimony, and uh, I will be referring to that testimony during this lesson because what Dr. Schinnerbarger was sharing, he could have written my notes for me in many different places. So we're thankful for that. We are continuing in the second chapter of Faith on Trial, our book, and I will uh, do my best to cover what I think we should hear this morning and forego the things that are less important in, in my text. The first thing 
what, um, what Dr. Schindelbarger shared was, no, in our getting a foothold is there is a point, and it doesn't matter what rung you are on the ladder of trial, and he mentioned a couple of different times being at the bottom, and he had never felt lower. And it, regardless of where we are in our trial, and it was also mentioned that all of us share burdens, we do share burdens together, um, there is a place that we come to where we, we take foot, we take our hold, um, our foothold. And I started with an image. This is a picture of the, it's called the Nubian Ibex, and this is actually in Israel. And we read in the Psalms about um, the hind's feet walking in high places and being able to climb these steep cliffs. And these ibex have to, from their first week, they, they're born on the heights. And then within their first week, uh, their parents are training them to descend these uh, very difficult, this very difficult terrain to find food, to escape predators, and um, so I, I just thought this was interesting. This is perhaps what um, even David and Asaph were, were viewing, so I wanted us to see that. God is good to Israel and to those who are of a clean heart. That was last week's topic, and so this week, um, it is how we gain that foothold, and there is a method to Asaph's, um, first of all, to keep him from falling, but then also to ascend once again. So there was a method, and sometimes methods are frowned upon because people think they're bound to a certain way of doing something, and um, I know with uh, different cultures and specifically religions, there are methods to life, and it's a very legalistic way of living, but we live in spirit and in truth as Christians, and in that, the Lord has given us commands and ways, methods, to keep from falling and to continue to persevere in the faith. Um, So as we think of the step-by-step process in spiritual matters, in 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul commands Timothy to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It is not something that, that God completely does. He enables us. He saves us. That's a monergistic work. It's all him. And then he commands us as followers to follow in a certain way. And uh, Jerry Bridges, some of you are familiar with some of his books, about um, respectable sins. I know that book has been forwarded to us a few different times, but he has some wonderful books about pursuing godliness. And as we, as we talk about Psalm 73, 15, I'm going to go ahead and read the verse that we're going to be analyzing this, this morning. And it reads, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children, and that would mean the children of God. If I had said. So we find that he had a, an opportunity to say something. People were listening. If he had said thus, what was that? In temptation, we are very quick and hasty at times to, to give our thought on something, it's very important that we are able to stop and think. Asaph takes himself in hand and keeps himself from saying the wrong thing. When the Shinnebargers were going through their situation, people would expect them to say something dishonoring about this circumstance and this tragedy that was unfolding. But through Rebecca's testimony and through the family's testimony, their dependence on the Lord, they did what Asaph did. They stopped and they thought first. Avoiding saying something impulsively that was wrong. I know we all are tempted 
some more sorely than others, to say something in anger, sadness, even flippancy, the first thing that comes to mind, what would be your effect if you did that? If Asaph had written this in the psalm, because I spoke thus, the rest of the psalm would take a different meaning, and it would have affected people in a different way. But he did not. He stopped and he thought before making any final decision about the goodness of God or where he stood in his trial. Sometimes we do think much on a perplexing issue. It's not hasty. In those times, we carefully examine whatever the trial is. And by carefully examining the trial, we also should carefully examine what are the consequences, what will come from what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say, and how does that reflect on the glory of God? Remember, Asaph had all of the facts to his favor. The ungodly were prospering. The righteous were suffering. Didn't he have every reason, every right reason to say something dishonoring about God's plan? No, he did not. Just because we do not understand a circumstance doesn't give us reason to discount what God is doing or to dishonor him by doubt. The devil traps us in his subtlety. And this is a quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones from the book. He traps us in his subtlety by seizing on what appears to be an isolated event. He puts that one thing before us in such a manner that we can see and think of nothing else. We are focused on that one matter This one thing monopolizes our attention, and the consequences then are never considered. Rebecca understood. I was reading the note that she had written, thank you for praying, and her main concern was God's glory. She was not focused in on her problem. She was focused in on God's glory and how this situation would either encourage other people or cause them to doubt. In that, she glorified the Lord by her faithfulness. It, R.C. Sproul writes regarding struggles, if Asaph, in this particular verse, had broadcast his doubts and complaints before coming to a solution, he would have instilled doubt in the community of God. What a tragedy when we cause our fellow brothers and sisters to stumble. May it never be. We should examine the possible effects of our words and actions. So next, we cling to what is certain. What is certain? The goodness of God, His power, His faithfulness, His promises, that He will redeem His people, And he is coming again, and he will judge the wicked. We also know that in serving him and following him faithfully, there is eternal benefit, good, for those that love him. So, after all of this analyzation, and we cling to what is certain, the problem persists. What then? Martin Lloyd-Jones says we, we are to be content. He was content not to solve the main problem, this mystery, this perplexing issue. And I immediately thought of a song, and it's written by a man named Charles A. Tindley. Um, he, he lived in the 1850s through 1930. He was... Uh, born the son of a slave. He, his mother was free, and his mother died at an early age, and he had to be raised by his aunt. And he wrote a song, Leave It There. If you're not familiar with it, I'm going to read a a few things. The first verse 
refers to Asaph. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird, take your burden to the Lord, and leave it there. The second verse refers to the testimony that we heard this morning. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain, and your soul is almost sinking in despair, Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and he can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. The last thing I'll leave you with, and it's in your notes, we've got limited time here, but it's very important that we live principled lives and we set standards as Christians for what it is that we will do in this life. And one of the principles that Martin Lloyd-Jones gives, one of these guiding principles is, never be too ready to express your doubts and proclaim your uncertainties. If you're tempted to proclaim your doubts and your uncertainties, stop and think, as we talked about earlier, step one. And if you can say nothing helpful or nothing honoring to the Lord, just remain silent. We know that God is in control, even though we don't understand. Even our questions can be thinly veiled accusations. Why? Is this happening? Why? Instead of a genuine question. So if we, if we have nothing positive to share with our brothers and sisters in Christ, remain silent and wait patiently for the Lord. Secondly, all truth is interrelated. If God is not dependable in this circumstance, how can he be dependable in any other, especially his promises? We cling to all truth, and we cling to Christ in all circumstances, especially in the most difficult times. I love the testimony of the Schinnerbarger family in relation to personal relationships with other believers as well. We do not live isolated lives. I read a... a, a populist vote. It was online that Ligonier Ministries put together, and it talked about how many evangelicals surveyed believed that you could have church in your home, um, isolated, and, and you could still grow in the faith. And it was a very high number, I think 48 or 52 percent. It was on the, on the line there of a majority. We cannot act in isolation. We cannot live in isolation as a community of believers. And that's a testimony to Faith Bible Church, the blessing that this church was when they were going through a hard time. My family was not here at that time, but I have seen that instance in other families that have gone through hard times. So do not forget, we do not live in isolation, we live with one another. And finally, who and what are we? We are purchased with Christ's blood. We are his children, and there are certain things that we simply will not do, and that is to dishonor his name in, in doubts when we have perplexing times. We must stand firm. So when your foot is about to slip, even if you are on the lowest rung, get a foothold and grab the truth that is available to you. We are to stop sliding and slipping and plant your foot in that one small foothold and say, God is always good to Israel and to me. Help me not to be foolish. We trust the Lord. Are there any thoughts as we close this morning? A very heavy topic, but also a very encouraging topic, that if the Lord can bring even the Schinnerbarger family through such a trial, that he is faithful to do so. Joel. This is, uh, 
Amen. Amen. Joel was sharing that the testimony of Rebecca, even in the hospital, was a, a blessing to so many people, and it was reciprocated back to her in love. So, thank you, Joel. All right, let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Our faithful God, we thank you for our time this morning to be encouraged and also to think soberly about... Um, mysteries that we do not understand, but we leave our doubts, Lord, at your feet and our misunderstandings because we know, Lord, that your plans are perfect and we will see the unfolding of all of those plans as we enter glory. And so we thank you, Lord, for your promises and we thank you for your word and may we feast daily on your word. And Lord, I thank you again for this dear family, and may you bless them and comfort them in the days ahead. Uh, we, just, uh, we are just very thankful to you for them. We pray, Lord, for our worship hour, and may you be honored in that time. And we thank you for Christ and all that he is to us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.